Just a quick warning. Today's episode deals with suicide and depression, as it intersects with issues of self-esteem. While not explicit, these subjects might be too dark for young listeners. So consider saving this one later if you have kids in the car. Annually, Americans spend just over $16 billion each year on plastic surgery, $10 billion on self-help products, and $3 billion on trophies, plaques, and awards. And that's nothing compared to what we spend on therapy and medication to fix our self-esteem. I think it's safe to say we have a self-esteem deficit in this country. Self-esteem in the U.S. isn't just an issue. It's an industry. It's industries. Each of us will, in our own way, cope with our self-esteem shortcomings. Some of us will opt for plastic surgery, hoping that tighter skin or higher breasts will elevate our confidence. Others will seek awards and accolades, or will spend our lives looking back on our greatest successes, that one amazing touchdown, our best sales year, or our highest video game score. Throughout our lives, we might experience one or two symptoms of low self-esteem. But today I want to talk to you about Rick Springfield. This is a man who succeeded in every measurable way, and paradoxically, has lived out every manifestation of low self-esteem. Rick Springfield, wealthy musician, TV soap opera star, sex icon, and hit writer and performer of the song Jesse's Girl, is the model of flawed self-esteem. At age 16, Rick Springfield tried to hang himself, but the knot came loose or unraveled. He doesn't remember which. At 17, while touring Vietnam as a musician entertaining U.S. troops, Rick Springfield incidentally killed a Viet Cong. Rick Springfield was not an enlisted soldier. He wasn't even an American. He was an Australian pop singer with a guitar. And when a soldier told him to drop a mortar into a tube, he did, and it still haunts him. Rick Springfield has had botched surgery. He's battled drugs and depression. He's negotiated his infidelity and sex addiction. He's appeared on and quit daytime soap operas. And the one-hit wonder that almost buried him, Jesse's Girl, was also the one-hit wonder that brought him back to stardom when it appeared on an episode of Glee in 2010. Most people have some self-esteem issues. Rick Springfield has all of the self-esteem issues. Rick Springfield has lived the Groundhog's Day of low self-esteem. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm Joe Anthony, the writer, researcher, and introvert whose job it is to go through the outer layer of no duh on the internet and get to the juicy facts. If you keep a few trophies on your mantle, if you've had a bit of cosmetic surgery, or if your bookshelf looks like a self-help catalog, we won't hold it against you. Today we want to focus on the truly insidious form of low self-esteem. The kind of self-doubt that made Rick Springfield consider suicide when he was a talented young musician with a bright future. The kind of self-esteem issues that don't just hold us back from being our best, but those that hold us back from being anything at all. Today, as we delve into the mechanisms of low self-esteem, we'll also be exploring three myths. Myths we love to spread in America. Myths that can infect us with doubt and make re-engineering our self-worth darn near impossible. Myth one, Americans are pillars of confidence. If you see us on Twitter, hazing each other like we're doing crowd work at a comedy club, you'd never suspect we're a self-esteem bankrupt country held together by wine and reality TV. Myth two, if you haven't made it by 35 or 40, then you never will. This myth usually gets brought up after we watch a 12-year-old who can sing opera on America's Got Talent, or when we see teenage YouTubers on the news buying mansions. Myth three, Something outside ourselves can heal our self-esteem. Most of us will try sex, drugs, cosmetic improvements, and peer validation. But what really fixes our self-esteem is not external factors. 
But first, Joe and I are going to talk about why we picked Rick Springfield for our today's episode. So, Todd, uh, when I told my aunt that we were doing an episode on Rick Springfield, she was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a little bit before your time, right? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, when you, I knew him uh, as the daytime soap opera and that one song guy. Like, yeah. like that, I couldn't even at the top of my brain bring up the name of the song. Um, so I, I, please, please, could you share with uh, everybody at home why you picked this? Because the, the story was amazing. And just so you guys know for the listeners, when we, how we pick shows is we do, we just get random things that we've learned or things that we thought of interesting, either we've read in a book, seen in a blog, um, seen in a documentary, and then we try to see if we can make it compelling. And um, the reason I ran Rick Springfield was this, this story, I used to sell Land Rovers at this store up in Seattle, and I worked with this guy, and he told me this story, and it just stuck with me all these years. This was years ago he told me this. He was at a county fair in Irvine, California, and it wasn't like a big state fair. It was a tiny one. You know one of those where the, the 4-H where the, you get a, big, a, a ribbon for having the biggest pig or something? Right, like judging, and then they, they've got uh, chili competitions, things like <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. I mean, it's just rednecky, even in Irvine, California. Right. But he was there with his family, and Rick Springfield was over on the stage singing. And to him, Rick Springfield's still a big, big hit. Uh, you know, still a big celebrity. But he's a one-hit wonder. He's past his prime. Right. He's he's a leather pants good at singing. Yeah. My buddy felt really bad because he looked over him. Adam and this was a venue that was beneath him and no one was even listening to him sing <laughs> so it's like maybe like one sad couple swaying to his songs exactly. and everybody else or like is one little three-year-old kind of bouncing around off tune right and yeah and so he felt bad for him he's like this is pretty beneath him <laughs> but this is what he told me and this is why it stayed with me this is why it resonated with me all these years he said that he was playing his heart out he was sweating. He was dancing around. He was singing like he was playing at Madison Square Gardens. And I thought, man, if I'm washed up, that's how I want to be washed up. Yeah. You know, still still giving it all I got. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, ho- hopefully uh, um, we can get there, right, with our podcasting. <laughs> we have to hit a big first to be washed up. But, yeah, oh, first okay. things first. We, we started the opposite. Yeah, we're going to peak later. I, 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 I don't look below the table. I'm wearing leather pants. So that's just, just for Rick Springfield. So, But your your aunt remembers him being the sex symbol. like Exactly. Poster yeah. on the wall. She, she immediately went to General Hospital. So, okay. yeah, she, she remembers now, as we talked about in the intro, um, this is unique. Rick has been suicidal twice in his life. Pretty much throughout his life, he's battled low self-esteem and depression. But he tried to commit suicide, tried to hang himself, and the noose broke off at 16. And then even after all the success and all the fame and the mansions and the, and the everything, he tried again at 67. Right. Now, the first time, uh, if I remember correctly, it was in a shed or something? Yeah, he tied himself up with a chair, and he just he couldn't deal. He was an awkward... Um, just socially inept kid and, and pretty much didn't think he had anything going for him. The only thing he really liked to do was play guitar. He was, he's, he's always been a lifelong musician. And he doesn't recall exactly what happened. He put it, he put it up in his weight of it. He just wasn't tied right and it broke and, and he lived. Wow. Um, he has had lifelong depression. He describes it as someone who's with him like almost another personality. He calls it Mr. D, which is Mr. Depression. And he says it's something that you get acclimated with. There's a comfort in it, and he needs that with him all the time. It's been with him his whole life. It's been with him when he's he's been on stage at Madison Square Gardens and getting the hit records when he won a Grammy. And then it's been at him when he was at the fair singing in front of one person. Well, I suppose if it's... it's I mean, it can be haunting and, and depression. I mean, we, we both talked about that, both in our personal lives and on an episode. We did a, an episode about depression and Abe Lincoln. And, and I can see it becoming its own persona. Like, I can see it becoming such a constant piece of your life that you give it a persona. And that's and that's the thing. There's He thought the one real life thing that, and, this, and this is my self-help study, I've noticed that people who become parents, that can be a pivotal thing in changing their life because they stop living for themselves and they start living for that kid. And they love their kids so much that they kind of get out of self. And he had hoped being a father. And he's, he's had two kids. But he said it still wasn't enough. And he said even growing up as kids, his kids could see his depression on him. It wasn't just something that he could take a pill for or go to therapy for. It was, it was a real, it's part of his whole being. Right. 
And just to clarify, our episode today is is self-esteem, but he also has that as sort of a, a, a I was going to say bonus, that's a sort of terrible <laughs> word in this case, but as as an addition to low self-esteem, he also has, has this depression issue. The two are very related. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just want to make that clear. Yeah. He said that when you get to a really dark point, nothing's enough. And by enough, there's not enough drugs, there's not enough sex, there's not enough everything, there's not enough attention. Right. You know, you can't be busy. That's the one thing that stood out to me because when I talk to you, and I talk to you about, you know, offline about my problems and stuff. And the only thing that ever works for me is being busy. Yeah. Ditto. You know, so imagine if you're busy 24 hours a day, you're a soap opera star. You're on time. I mean, can't even be any busier than that. Yeah. But you're still make time to, you know. Soap opera star, writing songs, signing for fans, and, and it's still not enough to keep your mind on it. That, that That's a dark place to be. At 67, this was right after Robin Williams uh, committed suicide. And he said, as soon as that happened, he said he was one of the few people that said, because what did everyone else say when that happened? How could he? Right. Right. Isn't that what everyone thought? Why? Yeah. He's so happy. So, How, Yeah. Why, why would the funny guy do that? Yeah. This is what he said, and I'll quote him. He said, I get being that lost and dark. I totally get it. He said, you're in so much pain, you just want it to end. I have been there and I know what it's like and I understand. It's just part of your makeup. That's profound. I mean, I know we kind of opened this episode with a joke, like joking about Rick Springfield and that he's a you know, soap opera star and stuff, but that to me is, speaks to somebody who, who profoundly understands themselves and, and what they've gone through. Like, I... I, I I know I'm rambling a bit, but I really want to separate the joke of Rick Springfield because whenever we talk about washed up celebrities in the news, it's always tongue in cheek. It's always we don't take it seriously because they have lost their star. And so we devalue them. We don't think that their their problems are as serious as they are. But but what you just said, that that reminds me that it's it's more important to focus on his self-esteem and how he's dealt with it. Not so much the the washed up aspect. It does feel that way. Like they got lucky, like they didn't earn it. Right, exactly. They, they, that's got what I'm they won a lottery ticket and then they blew it all, and that's not really true. They were, they, he did acting classes. He was a musician. He did all this stuff right. before that. He earned it, and he wrote a song that people enjoyed and still enjoy today. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're you're talking about him performing his ass off at a country fair where no one's watching. Yeah. That to me means more. Like that shows more work and commitment than than a star that just gets lucky. So this this isn't a reality TV star who drank their way on American Housewives and then got, you know, stardom after that. This guy actually worked for it. And we talked about that offline. I, I called you because we we're both doing our research on this. And I said, when I was reading about this, I kind of thought this guy was going to be a total jerk. This oversexed pretty boy who right. I'll make it feel sorry for him. But after you start reading about him and stuff, you like the guy. Exactly. You're pulling for him. He's like that. He's like that a character in one of your books that isn't perfect, but you want him to win at the end. Yeah, he's 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 a puppy dog at the end, and I I think I even told you that that um, I was expecting to read through the science points of this and just be like, yeah, yeah, you have Rick Springfield, that's your thing, and then by the end of this, I was like, man, this guy really has a lot of heart. So it's two episodes. Yeah, it's two episodes glued together, <laughs> together by one theme. Rick Springfield made this quote: "Fame and success and money do not heal." So. We think that that stuff, once you rise above your problems, you're, you're going to be bigger and badder than them. That doesn't heal the stuff that's happened for the reason why you have the sex addiction, drug addiction. Right. Well, we are going to get a little bit into uh, how much money do you need to have self-esteem in the first place. So that's a good I... teaser. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get fun. So uh, before we cover that, before we get to um, how much money do I need, how much prosperity do I need, when does my self-esteem kick in? I was just going to say when you said that, I'm like, till my soul counts, <laughs> till right. I'm, I'm allowed to right? Right. get a last name or something. I mean, Well, I, I think a lot of people uh, are, are asking themselves as they grow up, I still am, when am I going to have self-esteem? Like, when is it going to be... You know, more than just faking it at work, having too much coffee and feeling good for about 10 minutes, you know, on my way into work. When am I going to get real self-esteem? Well, I thought uh, that as a, as a young man who's the pimply, teenage awkward, who couldn't talk to girls. I thought when I'm a man, I have a job, I have a wife, I have this. I'll be, 
secure. Now I'm more insecure than ever <laughs> about losing my hair or getting overweight or being old. Right. There's new things to be insecure about, which is, yeah. yeah. Exactly. They just switched. They've just traded them. Right. Well, first we're going to identify uh, where our self-esteem goes, like like where we get it from and where it vanishes to. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that first. Um, so these are from uh, Gallup polls, uh, and all as we go through these, these are different polls. Um, I'll identify where they came from and what year, because that is vitally important to what we're talking about today. Um, so how secure is the average American? Let's first nail that down. And also, where does the self-esteem come from, and where does it sour? Now, for Rick Springfield, it sounds to me, because he was so um, uh, depressed and he had such self-esteem issues at such a young age, uh, I'm guessing it is not environmental for him. So we're going to nail that down in a couple seconds. So the, the first self-esteem factor, um, uh, uh, the factor of low self-esteem, let's say it that way, um, usually comes environmental. And what I mean by environmental, uh, um, I got this from a Gallup poll in 2003. And they talk about the largest factors uh, uh, for self-esteem and indicators for self-esteem. Uh, and now keep in mind, 2003, that's three years before Twitter launched. So uh, some of this can be invalidated simply by the existence of the internet hive mind. If you have everybody online telling you that you're fat simultaneously for the first time in humanity, that can affect your self-esteem profoundly. Um, so back in 2003... Uh, Gallup started doing self-esteem polls, and I took quotes from Gallup. Now, I took the quotes because I thought they were uh, very interesting and very fun. Um, so when they took these self-esteem uh, uh, tests, uh, they, they asked like a, a battery of tests, like, you know, uh, how do you feel about your finances? How do you feel about your, your marriage? How do you feel about, like, things that would you would normally think uh, affect somebody's self-esteem. This is the environmental stuff you're talking about. This is the environmental stuff I'm talking about, yes. Um and the thing that kept coming up, and these are the quotes I got from this, is health. Health, health, health. Um, so here's a quote uh, from Gallup. Quote, although Gallup's self-image question made no mention of health or physical well-being, Americans' responses to the question are highly related to their physical health. So what I read from that as a, as a layman, this is, this is my take. Uh, Gallup is saying, we didn't ask, but Americans would not shut up about their diet and exercise routine and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they started asking them about their finances and their, their wealth. And, and people instead turned the question to, let me tell you about my health. How fast I can run a mile. And right, that's yeah. what they associated it with. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Respondents who report being in good health and eating healthy diet are much more likely than those who don't express a positive self-image. Uh, and again, that's like you ask somebody how they're doing today, and instead they want to tell you about your the keto diet. Like, let me tell you about this. <laughs> I'm thinking of the guy who says, "Punch me in the stomach." Look at this, you know. Right. The guy's a little bit past his prime. Who thinks he can hang with any twenty-year-old? Right. Like, pinch me. I'm, I'm so ripped right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, or I guess in 2003, that'd be like, let me tell you about my Atkins diet. <laughs> so that's right. Like, it was pre-keto. We're a little bit dated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here, here's another one, uh, and this one's about finances. Uh, quote, upper-income Americans who make more than 50000 annually are also more likely to have a positive self-image than those with lower incomes. And that is actually what they were focusing on with this poll. And this is something you can, um, you can look up on Google. It changes every year because, of course, wealth Inflation. changes. Inflation, yeah. yes. Um, but, but happiness generally doesn't rise uh, once you make 105 k a year, according to USA Today, or 95 k according to MarketWatch, or 75 k uh, if you're on CNBC. It's just uh, getting over that poverty thing. But then when you go over that, there's not an abundance of it. It doesn't at three hundred thousand, you don't feel better than you did at a hundred grand. I'm so glad you said it that way. That is that. Yeah, I was going to use uh, uh, convoluted scientific terms, but yeah, that's my take on it too. Is, <laughs> so if you have two million and two, that makes sense because you get above worrying about the paycheck to paycheck. Right. Once you can afford uh, like a, 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 a somebody to put a tube down your throat if you're sick, mm-hmm. or or pinch something off if you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. Once you get past the part where you have to worry about money for health and, and or, money for food, or can we have can we have a soft drink with dinner, kids? No, we're all going to have water because we have that stuff right. at home because we can't afford it. We can't afford everyone to get the <laughs> a happy meal. Just 
Right, right. So once those little money issues aren't there to chip away your self-esteem, well, suddenly you can have self-esteem. So that really seems to be the the biggest factors are um, diet. Uh, so you were serious about a Ford. You were serious. You have to afford it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So here's the other side of it. We we talked about the environmental side of self esteem and how it gets lowered by not having health and money. Here's the uh, developmental factors. So we we already talked about the environmental. Here's developmental, uh, and this comes from Psychology Today, uh, uh, Doctor Lackman. Uh, disapproving authority figures, uninvolved caregivers, and bullying, uh, which comes from either not enough support from parents or too much support, or overcritical parents, trauma, belief systems, social media. So basically, um, uh, and this this is developmental, why you might have low self-esteem, and this, I really hesitate to say, might be Rick Springfield's issues. If he was showing low self-esteem as early as 16 and 17, it was probably developmental. He probably wasn't old enough to have a 100K job or, or to have been fired from one. Um, he probably didn't have to worry about his health when he was 17. I'm guessing his issue might have been developmental. And, and that means that he had somebody bigger than himself uh, telling him he wasn't enough. Yeah, disapproving parents, overcritical parents. Um, you, you get bullying from, you know, there's sports parents that bully their kids to play sports better or to play or musicians to play instruments better to get better academic bullies right who who get bullied by the, <laughs> their parents that their 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 4.0 isn't good enough right so ultimately he had somebody in his life telling him he wasn't good enough repeatedly and and that's what chips away at self esteem like that so those are the two big the two big two big boxes those are the two big boxes um, and I, I will I will warn uh, one last time for everybody, I am not a doctor, uh, and you are not either as far as I'm aware. Um, so it's please an honorary title. Yeah, it's an honorary title, yeah. Uh, small d and smalls are. So um, please look at our sources for this stuff. Um, but but that's that was my take on reading the research, is you've got these two points of low self-esteem. One is environmental and, and one is developmental. And one you can very much control. The other one, I'm so sorry that it happened to you, but you will have to seek professional help, probably. So, um, when I started looking at Rick Springfield, I so wanted to play the song Jesse's Girl. <laughs> but the problem is, uh, we would have to pay rights. But guess what you don't have to pay rights to do? Oh, no. No, no. I've taken two singing classes. <laughs> uh, a couple bars, maybe? I, I'm young. I don't know what Jesse's Girl sounds like, Todd. Entertain me. Uh, I, I've just, so you know he's teasing me. I've just started taking singing lessons. And so all I'm singing is Mary Had a Little Lamb. So I'm going I'm to pass on that. But I'll get back okay. to you on that. We'll, we'll, we'll save it. But, uh, trust me, if you hit uh, a link on YouTube for Jesse's Girl, you'll immediately recognize the song. Even even uh, I'm a younger guy-ish, uh, and I recognized it. So. It's been in every commercial. It really was a smash, smash hit. In right. a lot of movies, uh, TV shows. So right. We're not one of those wealthy podcasts. You're going to have to look it up for yourself. <laughs> Uh, so, so as a, a singer, how did he end up getting sent to Vietnam? Because the first thing we covered when we were talking about the events of Springfield's life, you mentioned he uh, he was in Vietnam. So, how did that happen? Well, he, he was he was a musician all his life, and that's how he identifies. And he said at that time he got hired to do a gig, and they're pretty much taking everybody over there. And to get a gig to go over travel from Australia to Vietnam, it sounds crazy now, right? It's bit, dangerous, yeah. yeah. But he said all you really needed was a couple of girls in the band because the the GIs would come watch just to see the girls. And he said so he played. And but he was just a kid. I mean, a skinny little kid. And of course, a lot of the Vietnam people were 19, 18 years old too. But they they would just take him under their wing, and he'd hang out with the soldiers at their camps. And and he uh, he was always kind of immature, clown. He was a young man away from home. He once accidentally almost killed a bunch of his own band with a grenade. Because he was drinking and screwing off, so <laughs> and they who wouldn't find a loose grenade just lying around? Yeah, right? exactly. It was a different time, as he says in his interviews. It was the '60s, right? You know, he's smoking weed, throwing, throwing, uh, drinking beer, throwing grenades. Yeah, I've seen high school garage bands get out of hand uh, just in small local towns. I can't imagine leaving a grenade in the garage with them. Yeah, or having the band hang out with an infantry unit, you know? Right, or in the jungle with Charlie like, trying to kill you. you know? So you, you mentioned that um, 
that he had used a mortar. Is that how? Is is they had they had somebody coming at them? Well, this is kind of goes on to what you're talking about with something that happened in his childhood. Um, he was staying with a Navy unit, and there was the enemy was approaching, and so some of the Ford observers came and told him they're coming. So they lined up their their artilleries, and he dropped a live motor. And they he didn't he didn't know what he was doing. They lined the guns up for him. They handed it to him. Say, kid, do it. And he dropped it in, and it fired off in the direction because you can't see the enemy in a real war situation. You're oh, just, you're firing tracers, and you're trying to you see them over in there in that general vicinity. You have information, and you're just sending stuff over there. Oh, so he he's he's not like like aiming a gun at somebody. It's it's he drops into the mortar, and it's aimed in a rough direction at night. So this situation was unique because they were in a all of a sudden they were he was hanging out with these guys and they got into a dangerous situation so it was all hands on deck we don't care okay. if you're, who you are everyone has to do something so other guys were doing other more important things he had the easiest job so the horrible part of the story is the next day um, some guy comes running to the camp one of the other uh, navy guys high-fiving hugging runs up to rick and says hey you got one you killed somebody Holy good job hell. yeah so that's probably screwed him up a little bit from you know and right. he said he was devastated for it. Yeah, I've I re-rented a car when I was 17, and, and my life was over. I can't imagine somebody running up to me and saying, you got a person. That, yeah. That's, yeah. He took a human life, and he was a musician, not, not a soldier. Right. So, so all these soldiers who have been told, you know, you're born to kill, they, the, the ones that went through training who have been told, expect this, he's not in that. He, he, nah. is, he is a 17-year-old musician. Yeah. That is wild. Now, since you were not around yet when this song came out, 1981, right? You weren't around yet. That's three years before I was born. <laughs> it was a huge hit song. And this is what Rick said. It, he wrote this song, and it was it won a Grammy. It was in movies. It, it was the biggest. It, so it was hard to duplicate that. Okay. So he's, so he's always trying to chase, but that's usually what you work yourself up to. That's not usually your first song, your first hit song. Usually get some that are in the charts, and you get some momentum. So he was always trying to trying to um, to match that, and it's oh. almost unrealistic expectation, career wise. He already peaked. Right. Um, now the song itself is about, and I thought this was really interesting because I like this song. Um, a friend of his, and, and this is in his words. This cracked me up. He said, "You ever have one of those friends that just gets lucky and gets that smoking hot girlfriend?" <laughs> this is such a guy thing to say. And then he just lusted over her. But at the time, you know, it was his buddies. And they were acquaintances. They weren't like best friends. He, he was respectful of it. But he, he looked from afar and he just lusted her and he wanted her so bad. Now, his buddy's friend was not Jesse. It was Randy's. So the song started out with, it's going to be Randy's girl. And he said it probably had never won a Grammy with Randy's girl. It's not right. as catchy, right? Randy's girl does not sound classy. Yeah. And also, uh, that's a good way to get beat up is is when you you're at your garage and your your band is about to play and just be like, okay, I hope Randy's not here. <laughs> As you, that's a good point, right? <laughs> you're gonna sing it out, you get your ass kicked right there. Right. Um, all these years later, these Randy and Randy's girlfriend have not connected the dots. Rick Springfield has thought that one of these days, oh. Jesse's girl is gonna realize. Oh my God, are they still together? They, he doesn't know. He lost touch okay. with her. But it was such a famous thing. You would think, and it happened right after he met her, You think she, and she knows how hot she is, right? That's right. pretty obvious. <laughs> but she's never come forward. So somewhere out there, Jesse's girl, Randy's girl. Randy's girl. Rick Springfield wants to at least meet you and thank you for the inspiration. Yeah. Call them and call us. We'd like to know that, too. Can you can you even imagine, though? Like, like do you know any friend? If you have a friend that, that gets famous... And it's some creative work, like writing, singing, whatever. Everybody listens to it, and don't they imagine like maybe he was writing about me, or maybe they were like Absolutely. under any circumstances? How and how would this character in one of your that? stories is that's me? You're talking about me, right? Right. Yeah, when it's looking not for themselves, it's not connected at all. Wow, that's crazy. Um, this song is what I think all creative people want: is that one writing that makes them forever relevant, the hit that raises their class and makes their them become an artist, right? And the best thing about it is it gives them an income so that now they can continue to just be a creative person. They don't have to go wash dishes at night or work a regular job. They want that one hit, that one really good catch that so they, they kind of retire from that 
the working class life. It's the the rocket that sends them up, basically. Yes, and then they and they move on to bigger and better things when when they have more time, right? So clearly, since Rick Springfield is our subject of today, I'm guessing that didn't really last that that rocket that that stardom that started him. It didn't, but he was he didn't just retire on his his um, the money coming in. He used that fame. He got a role on as Noah Drake on General Hospital, in 1981. So he used his fame to to, to keep working. Um, he quit that year. He quit that job two years later, and at the time, back in the day, you know, we have family members that are that we used to watch soap operas. Right. You wouldn't miss your shows. That that's like, if General Hospital's on and that's your show, you're gonna watch it. You yeah. Know, the that, bold, the beautiful. There's no getting over it. You need to know what happened. Yeah, you can. Uh, if that's your show, they can have all of the stars stay home that day. Anyone who watches that show will watch an empty set <laughs> because that they have blocked out that part of their life just for this. That is that is like their, the smoke break of their life. It's going to happen. Yeah, they, they're going to sit through it no matter what. So he was a star on that show, and he quit two years later because he loved making music so much. So he really was at heart. His core self was a musician. Okay, so he, he needed to get back to it. Myth. This proves that if you peak too early, and if you haven't made it by age 32, like Springfield, then you never will. Your whole life will feel like a failure. Right, and we hear that so often in, in media, that if you don't, you, know, you don't make it by a certain age, you're not going to. And here's somebody who not only made it super early, but came back later, too, as we'll hear about. Absolutely. That's awesome. So speaking of uh, when somebody peaks, uh, before this research, before looking into this episode, what age did you think people peak at self-esteem-wise? I always like to joke that your 25 is, is your, as a man, is the best year because you're, you're not a kid anymore. You're a man, but you're not old yet. So I'm going to say 25. Okay. I, I like that. That's a good answer. Um, you? What do you think? I thought it was something like 30. Uh, uh, I thought that... A little more established in your career, maybe? and That's precisely why. I always assumed it was like you start having equity and you start having a career, and that must make it to where... you And family, of course, and, and you start having a wife. All these things that you are starting in life. Adultness. Adultness, yes, yeah. precisely. Um, so what, I was... What did you find? Surprised and pleased to find out that uh, we've both got a little bit of time. Uh, according to, and this is a, a Time Magazine uh, article that covered a meta-study, um, and it, it said that you peak at 60. That's that's a lot older than I would think. It's much older I than what I was retired in the Florida kind of. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Th- this is pretty solid stuff. Uh, this comes from, uh, time, time was covering uh, something from the Psychological Bulletin, uh, which was doing a meta-study, meaning they took um, prior articles from different studies, about 191, and, and this, in total, covers uh, 165,000 subjects. So they, they had a very large group to pull from. Uh, and so here's, here's what they found. I'm going to go through the ages, if you don't mind. So we're, we're looking at the eras of human life and, and how we do with, with self-esteem. So our first block we're looking at is uh, the age of awareness. So when we start actually being aware of the people around us, and that's about 4 to 11. And they say that between that time, self-esteem is rising. Uh, uh, children are, are developing some independence. And with the independence, the ability for a kid to just say, you know, no, uh, as soon as no comes out, that shows independence and that shows uh, self-esteem. Um, it plateaus, self-esteem plateaus from about 11 to 15, uh, except mine. My, mine bottomed out, I'm, I'm sure of it, uh, around the awkward years. Uh, but... but that's apparently not true. Apparently, um, it, uh, self-esteem plateaus during those awkward years, so it just kind of like stops growing. The middle school dance where you just you're too you're just so shy, you're yeah, sunken. It, it feels like your self-esteem is below the dance floor <laughs> when you're staring at everything every, you do is awkward. Yeah, somehow high schoolers have like a barrel chest and a full beard, and you're just standing there gangly waiting. You always look like you have to go to the bathroom. Right. Yeah, it's painfully awkward. Yeah, scientists, uh, they blame this on uh, social comparison, which starts in school. So once you're able to start comparing yourself and your social status and your rankings to other people, your, your self-esteem plateaus. And ironically, that is also what we're able to do on Twitter. 
uh, and Facebook is we can then begin basically what we had happen when we were, you know, reaching our teens, which is social comparison. Measuring other people's stuff, other people's looks. Right. So it's almost self-esteem-wise like going back to high school. That's interesting. Um and then, and then during mid-adolescence, uh, self-esteem holds steady. It has slow rises, little increments. Uh, it increases substantially from uh, middle adolescence to age 30. So, so between those, those periods where you and I guessed were the peak, those are actually where you're rising the fastest because you are gaining uh, traction as a human. When like you're, you're working, you're, you're making money, you're mating. You're, right. You're, yeah. you're making all these connections and, and you're getting equity and, and value. Uh, then they are working more because you're younger and stronger, and right, so you're that too getting some reps. Yeah, you 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 feel at your peak performance because well, you are your 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 body isn't going to get any better than you know that that period. Um, then uh, increases, so you get self esteem increases until um, you peak at sixty. So from about thirty to sixty, it, it's using what God has given you basically. Um, you, you, you now know how your body works. You know how your mind works. You're not going to change much beyond 30 except for, you know, your, your health. You, you have to maintain it. Um, and after, you know, 60 to 70, that's where your, your summit, that, that peak holds steady. And then after 70, uh, self-esteem starts going down again. According to the meta study, uh, they, they, in the article, they, they contribute this to, um, deaths, so, so people around you start dying when you hit 70, friends you used to know, family used to know. Uh, you have shrinking social roles, lower socioeconomic status. You go into retirement. Empty uh, nesters uh, have self-esteem issues. Um, and then it, it goes into full decline from 70 to 90. So it's not just peaking. It's just the, your self-esteem kind of health chart, right? Right, Exactly. Now, I, I want to quote the, uh, the professor who worked on this meta-study. His name is uh, Ulrich Orth, and he's a professor of psychology at the University of Bern in Switzerland. Uh, and this is him talking about why we peak at 60. Uh, he said, quote, People take on managerial roles at work. They maintain a satisfying relationship with their spouse or partner, and they help their children become responsible, independent adults. Uh, and, and again, this was such a fantastic article, and, and it made me rethink how I look at self-esteem. So uh, now I'm not thinking I did not peak, and so I, I, I felt like I had been robbed of that early 30s you know, or late 20s self-esteem. Looking at this lets me know that it's going to get better, a lot better. It's encouraging, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Yeah. And that that's for, for Rick Springfield. I'm sure that would be a cold comfort to go back to. 16-year-old Rick Springfield pre-Vietnam mortar. But to go back and tell somebody at that age, hey, you're nowhere near your peak. Like, yeah. you, you, 60 is so far off at that age. Things, I are, wonder things if, are only going to get better. Yeah. yeah could, could a young you believe you if you went back in time no. and said, wait till you're 60. It's amazing. <laughs> well, when you're young, you hope you're dead by that age. You're like, who right. cares? You know? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking a 60-year-old me being awesome. I was, I was what am I going to have on my tombstone? Like, that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think of it like this, where it's... If, if you look at, you know, sort of elder tribal man, when you hit that age, you know your limitations. It's not about not caring anymore. Like like a lot of people say, uh, you, when you get older, you don't you don't give a damn anymore. But when you're talking about older tribal man, you mean the 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds sitting down, listening to every word they said and following what they their advice. Right, right. Why in older cultures do we respect elders? Well... Right. They know their limitations, and they know what they're capable of, and they know what the people around them are capable of, too. So they may have lost a little bit of strength and speed, but they have a much better mind for what they can do now. Now, without putting real judgment into this, because we're not trying to judge Rick Springfield, uh, instead of waiting for that, that awareness when he hit 60, it seems like he tried to, to fix himself with something external. That's exactly right. Instead of healing the internal problems that he had, it was all based on. And this, this is what kind of resonated with me because when I, we start first doing the research for this, I'm thinking, if I got all that fame and all that wealth at a young age, I would just moderately enjoy it. And I know that. I know how compulsive I am. I'd probably already right. be dead from drugs and sex. I'd be 10 times worse. I know that. But when you see someone who actually had all those things, um, he, he, everything became external with his looks. 
because after and then peaking at a young age being so good looking being the model being the, the soap opera star being the musician he wanted to maintain that he wanted to keep that standard oh wow so he thought like what we thought like like when we're talking about we thought our prime was uh, 30 or 25 so he, he he got stuck trying to maintain that exactly and he, and he thought well if, if women are attracted to me the more sex i have that means i'm more attractive right that's how we feel as we're validation this beautiful woman wants to sleep with me. That means I'm still sexy. I'm still relevant. Okay. Wow. So, and then he started doing more sex and more drugs and more surgeries, and it just kind of snowballed because you can't keep that pace up. But all of it was external. He was trying to stay young and good looking. Okay. Now, uh, um, have you seen him in True Detective? I did see that clip. <laughs> he's. It's amazing that he's make. He's. He's. He's such a smart guy. As all the clips I see of him in other shows, he plays a joke version of himself. And, and to see him in True Detective being a creepy, over surgery, you know, like like nut job in Hollywood, that was amazing. He's yeah, he's a great actor. He really yeah. is. Well, after um, we started talking about self esteem and and what Rick Springfield went through, uh, I tried to find us some answers. What happens if you try to fix your self esteem with external physical things? Do you, want to, do you want to hear what I found? Yeah, what would you figure out? Okay, so um, I, I found uh, an article that was uh, about external fixes for self-esteem. Um, and spoiler alert, if you try to fix yourself externally, like if you try to validate your self-esteem through other people or drugs or, or um, external fixes like, like plastic surgery, uh, it doesn't help. Or, or it might help temporarily. So this comes from... Uh, a study from the University of Michigan by uh, PhD Jennifer Crocker, uh, and they surveyed. Uh, okay, so for, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot us in the foot here before we get started. Um, usually, when studies happen only at colleges, they they have recently come under fire in the scientific community um, because it's it's studying a group of people that have uh, a little bit of extra money. They they're going to school on their their parents' dime. Uh, and and they're it's not real life. Not real life. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're pulling mix them from of a box. People, yeah. These are students who have time to do this to go in for a survey. So just keep that in mind. Um, I always want to be as as frank and honest as we can when we talk about studies because we we don't want to you know shovel uh, any questionable science onto people. Um, but this this to me for for the what they were trying to figure out it really did resonate with me. So you tell me if it it resonated with you. Um, they checked in with students three times a year and they were asking them about self-worth. Uh, they, they checked with them and asked them about uh, family and peer support and appearance. And they were just asking them to, to value these things and value themselves. Like, you know, what, you know, what value are you placing on these things? And the noteworthy finding uh, for me is uh, the people who came in and self-reportedly took their worth from academics did not have a better performance at school. They, they did not academically perform better. So they weren't the 4.0s then. Right, exactly. The, the, the kids that came in, uh, well, college kids, uh, those that came in and said that their self-worth is tied to their scores in school, they did not test better. It, it's That self-worth, that, that value... Valuing it did not make them study harder. It did not make them test better. It just meant they stressed more, basically. Uh, and that's what the findings came back. They, they, they came in and they, they talked about... That's kind of, if I got better grades, I'd be happier. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and that really does kind of... The reason I wanted to talk about the study, even though it was at colleges, is that, to me, really uh, connected with uh, Rick Springfield. Because like, like a student who puts their value into their, their scores at school, Rick Springfield is putting his value into chart toppers. He's, you know, he's thinking like a grade. He's like, if my number is higher, I'll be, you know, I'll be fulfilled. Uh, and, and of course, that's not really true. Like a grade, you can only have so much control over it. You know, your kid hands in a test, Rick Springfield hands in a song to his producer. It, it's it's going to get scored. Like it, it's just going to be an, an unbiased value that the, the, the whole public puts on it or, or a, a teacher puts on it. Whatever the grade is, you can't, you can't have a grade be your personality. Um, the, the flip side of this, students who base their self-esteem on internal sources... So people that came in and said that they had a moral compass or values that they were chasing after, 
um, they were found to receive higher grades and they were less likely to use drugs and alcohol or develop eating disorders. And that's a lot more internal. Exactly. Yeah. The, these it's are 100% the, internal. Being it's 100% a better person. Internal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people that came into school and said, you know, when, when they were asked, where do you put your, your self-worth? And they said, you know, my, my, my religion or, or being a good person or uh, trying to become whatever my field is, but, but doing it in a, a valuable way. They, they, they stayed more consistent. They, they were able to keep performing. They, they didn't have these slumps. And that, that to me... So they're looking at the, not, not the result, but actually doing better. Yes. Yeah. Working yeah. and growing and being a better, better person. Yeah. And, and, and that... I, I can't help but think Rick Springfield, if we could have gone in a time machine and given him that, said, you know, hey, your, your values... Clearly he has values. I mean, I mean, him playing at a county fair and and working his butt off i mean that's that's internal value that shows that shows that he has values well, and work ethic too to be doing to be on stage it's one thing to be offered all those gigs at one time it's another yeah. thing to do them to dress up and show up for <laughs> right yeah. compare him to like a prima donna that that shows up late at a yeah. show an hour late the fans have already left like i know they can have, some some of them can afford to do that but i i'm much more i i would now after hearing that story i'd rather see a rick springfield at a county fair than like a, a Kanye that shows up two hours late and and doesn't actually you know perform for the audience. I know I know he does wild big shows and he loves to have everybody stand up and stuff. I'm not going to bash on one musician over another, but <laughs> I would I'd rather be at the yeah I would rather be at somebody who's a hard worker. I'd I'd want to see their show. Um, something else I want to mention too is um, we we mentioned plastic surgery earlier in the show, uh, talking about people who derive uh, values from external sources. Um, bodybuilders fall into this. Um, there was a documentary that came out years ago, uh, Bigger, Stronger, Faster, and they talked about how um, these these negative self perceptions. It's not just uh, people who age and they they end up going under the knife. It's not just uh, one gender or the other. There's you know bodybuilders have this where. I mean, uh, a good example of this is if you look at Barbie and, and women rightly say or criticize Barbie for having an unrealistic physical standard, look at He-Man. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the pictures of He-Man are absolutely ridiculous. And, it's and, not, yeah, you know, it's not a, man. it's not a man's them. body, yeah. Yeah. So would you mind sharing with us how Rick Springfield came back? Because I, I, I want... I'm hoping this has a positive ending. Well, he kept playing. He stayed relevant. He played small gigs. Um, in Glee in 2010, they sang his song, Jesse's Girl. And that was a monster hits show. And that brought him back to being relevant and making money just like that. So wow. it showed. So from one hit wonder, twice a one hit wonder. And his song, Jesse's Girl, is the number one karaoke song in the world. <laughs> I thought it would be "Baby Got Back" by uh, Sir Mix a Lot, but right. it, that, that's a that's a big karaoke one. But it, it's uh, so the number one karaoke song of all time. That's great. Uh, there's something uh, extra heartwarming that it's not just coming back as you know, please play this again, Rick Springfield. It's yeah. here now. He gets to hear people sharing it. That's great. Yeah, and it shows that he's done the acting gigs and he's just he's stepped up and done the, the little stuff. So we also talked about um, getting your value, your self-worth from an internal source. Did did Rick ever get that? He did, and that's that's probably a lot of this we left out of this episode that we probably do a whole other episode on. But he really went to work on himself. Um, being a father, he, he kept that, you know, that kind of kept him from committing suicide because of his love of his children. But he started working on himself, and he found inner peace. And he did it by, he, he became a Buddhist. Now, he was raised a Christian, but I'm going to tell you a story about how he became a Buddhist. Okay. He was doing a gig in Japan, and he stole a Buddhist. He was just depressed and his usual Mr. D depressed self. He stole a Buddhist Bible out of a hotel room in Japan, and he read it, and it changed his life. <laughs> wow. I, I respect that so much more than I thought you were going to say. You know, he became a Buddhist by going on some overpaid retreat and having a, a Buddhist mentor. That's there's something kind of awesome and rocker like about stealing it from a, a hotel. This shit's mine, right? So he took it and he used it though. He you know doing anything new, anything self improvement, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of reps. 
So he really, really bought into it, and he started meditating daily, and that made that calm down that crazy that put the Mister D away for a while. Right, that's awesome. Mindfulness, and uh, thank God it wasn't a Satanist Bible or a Pastafarian Bible. <laughs> he became a serial killer, and he'd be on death row right, right. now. <laughs> Slightly different story if that's what he found, but that's that's cool. Now, I want to leave you with one quote about Rick Springfield. And we, we went through all of his stuff, hours and hours of stuff. And this one really stuck out with me. Um, when, when, you know, anytime you're successful, people say at the end of the interview, they say, how did you do it? What's your code? What's and, your secret? Yeah, what, what do you live by? And, I, and he said this, and I've never heard anything like this. He said he has a three-punch combination. He says if you do these, th- if he says in his life, he does these three things all day long, every day, he'll be happy. And this is what they are in this order. Performing on stage as a musician, then meditating, and then hugging dogs. <laughs> he says, doing those three things, it's impossible to be unhappy. Wow. Well, I've, I can do uh, two of those now-ish. Uh, i got to go find a dog. I'm a big talk. I like to talk to dogs. Yeah. And I love to hug them if they allow me. If it's the, <laughs> we right. live in Portland where you have to ask people to pet their dog. <laughs> They're very snooty about it, right? Well, we we performing on stage. We might be a bit far from that, but the other the, the dog thing we can do. <laughs> we can pet the dog. We can, hugging the dog is a whole other question, right? <laughs> you may be feeling insecure for a variety of reasons. Your health isn't exactly where it's supposed to be. Your body has a few blemishes. You don't make as much as you'd like, or potentially more distressing. You weren't given the encouragement you needed when you were younger. Whatever the cause of your self-esteem deficit, I want you to know you're not alone. You're part of a multi-billion dollar self-esteem industry, as cold as that sounds. But more importantly, low self-esteem can be temporary, and it does get better with age. Whenever possible, try to anchor your self-worth in your core values, in your virtues, in your relationships, your connections, and your partnerships. You can enjoy external stimulation like sex and drugs in responsible moderation. But try to remember that the things that make you valuable are the values you hold and how you act on them. Self-esteem peaks at age 60. The happiness you can take from your wealth plateaus at 80 to 100K per year. And if you have to steal your inner zen from a hotel nightstand, you have our permission. Thank you for listening to the Reengineered You. If you like the show, tell someone about it. That means the world to us. We have a fresh new episode every week for you. You can also connect with us at reengineeredyou.com. That's www.re-engineeredyou.com, where we have research links, show notes, blog articles for each of our episodes. And remember, we love feedback and we love spirited debates. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.